Shalom, mishpacha. Shalom, family. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. <laughs> We're the mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people. Uh, with the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile, it's finally come down to form one new man, getting ready, mishpacha, to blow the grandest shofar, hold the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. I have to tell you, when I was a brand new Jewish believer, I didn't know my left hand from my right hand. I met a woman by the name of Catherine Coleman, and she had a relationship with the Holy Spirit that just provoked me to jealousy. And I guess that's what the Bible says. (laughs) The uh, Gentile believer is supposed to provoke the Jew to jealousy. Well, my guest, John Bevere, uh, most of you are familiar with him. You probably read his book. It's a classic, The Bait of Satan, along with a number of other materials. But that's the one I think of when, when I think of John Bevere. Well, John Bevere has a very close relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I'm so excited about his brand new book, and his DVD and CD collection, so he shares the secrets he has learned about the Holy Spirit so that you can have that type of relationship. Uh, John, did you know much about my friend who I just talked about, Catherine Coleman, and her relationship with the Holy Spirit? How I wish I would have. I got saved after she went home to be with the Lord. I got saved in 1979. So I did not know her. Well, I have to tell you, John, I was shocked, absolutely shocked, when I found out what type of a student you were. I mean, you are one of the premier teachers of our generation, and (laughs) did you really get on your SAT scores 370 out of 800? (laughs) Yes, sir, I did. How? <laughs> I'm laughing about it right now, but believe me, I wasn't laughing when it happened. And it's the highest score I ever scored. And in all my travels, I've only met one human being that scored lower than me on the English. So um, so what do you attribute to the fact that, that – uh, how many books of the Beta Satan have sold? Do you know approximately – it's well over a million. So how do you attribute selling a million books and not being able to get by the SAT decently? Well, and, and I think the other thing that's even most startling is, you know, there's 16 other books, and I think their sales are pushing, getting close to 5 million. So, I mean, it's just, it's just to me, it always lets me know that it's really, truly the Holy Spirit that does this. Um I tell people my name are on these books because I was the first guy to get to read them. And to be honest, with you, it's just one of the most wonderful encounters with the Holy Spirit when I sit down to write. So I'm so glad that I obeyed God years ago when he told me to write. Beta Satan, by the way, is 20 years old this year. The publisher told me that Walmart cannot even keep them on the shelves. They've done, Walmart has done three massive orders in two weeks. So that to me, it just shows it's a God miracle. In, in other words, you don't have to read a book with 10 principles on how to remain humble. You know. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. Listen, here's the thing. 
you know, God spoke to me one day. I was a very poor public speaker, too. First time Lisa heard So, so you couldn't score decently on the SAT, and you couldn't speak, and you, you speak all over the world. I know. It's so difficult to get you to be a guest. <laughs> well, this is ridiculous when you hear this. The first time Lisa heard me speak 30 years ago after we were married, she was sound asleep within five minutes and slept my whole message, and she's in the front row, and her best friend was drooling out of the side of her mouth. She was in such deep sleep. And so God spoke to me one day. I still have that message archived in a place where nobody will find it but me. And God spoke to me, and he said, Son, I let you experience that and the SATs, everything, so you would always know how bad you are without me. And, and, and you know, I, I, I have this uh, statistic right in front of me. Over 20,000 churches in North America alone use your materials. Uh, it's it's uh, God gets all, all the glory. As a matter of fact, uh, your pastor had a vision about you before any of this happened. Tell me about that. Well, it was quite interesting. I was a member of a large church, and there was 11 of us pastors. I was the youth pastor. And he came into a meeting, and he looked at us, and he said, Gentlemen, I had a vision last night. He said it was so vivid. It was almost like I was watching it on a television screen. And he said, In this vision, one of you pastors will not be on our team much longer. You'll be going out and coming back and out and back, and you're going to be a blessing to the body of Christ. And he goes, And that man is you, John Bevere. When he said it, the Spirit of God fell on me, and I just began to weep. And I said, You know, I was in prayer five months ago, and God whispered that to my heart, and I didn't tell anybody but my wife and a best friend who was in another state. And it just affirmed to me that what I do in traveling and speaking all over the world is something that God absolutely wanted. And it's helped us through the hard times in the beginning when, you know, invitations weren't coming in like they come in today, 25 years later. But um, it's just amazing to me. I, I stand in awe, literally, of what God has done. And I know that he's done this for the sake of his people, not for the sake of John Bevere. Okay, this is a Sid question. And I feel like I want to ask most of the uh, top fivefold ministers in the world this question. What is your personal prayer Bible reading, meditation life like? With that busy schedule, do you still carve out time for, for God? Yes, sir. Um, I make sure that almost every day, and I'm not going to say every day because I don't want to lie online. There, there, there are times that you just have from, you know, flights and everything, and I'll literally read the Word of God on flights. But I make sure that I'm in taking the Word of God, because I know it's food to our spirit. And then, as far as prayer goes, I will have days where I go, days and days, where I carve out an hour, half hour, hour, and then there'll be times I'll go for longer, and then there'll be times I'll set apart to pray and fast. So yeah, I, I've seen too many examples, Sid, of guys that became very well-known and um, lost that private time with God. And their ministries went flat, and then they ran into trouble later. So it's pretty much a priority for me, because I get, my wife says I get kind of grumpy if I don't get that time with God. <laughs> so I'm, uh, 
I'm constantly making. <laughs> I understand. Now, you, um, you have something that I understand that many Christians of today don't have. You have still retained, and I know this will sound crazy when I say it, that it's an exception, but you have still maintained the holiness and the reverence of God. He's not your good buddy. Uh, He's not your high five friend. He is your friend. But there's a reverence and holiness that you have maintained. Talk about that. Well, to be honest with you, the fear of the Lord is really the cornerstone message of my life. I had uh, one very well-known pastor when he was introducing me at a conference say, you know, whether John speaks on the bait of Satan, whether he speaks on undercover, whether he speaks on the Holy Spirit, whatever he speaks on, it always comes out um, in the fear of the Lord. And the reason is, is because God did that in my life and in my heart. Um, One of the things that I look at is that I had a, a real powerful, powerful manifestation of the Holy Spirit in Malaysia, and literally women, and the auditorium was packed. It was the largest Bible school in the nation. People had come from all over. And I remember I was at the very end. We had done 10 meetings. This was the biggest. This one was jam-packed. And I remember I came down to minister to these women. As I came down, the Spirit of God fell on them, and they were all on the floor within 30 seconds, and they were howling, laughing. Now, I had never seen this before in Asia, and I just sat there, and this was years and years ago. This is back in the 90s, and I remember I, I was like, whoa, and so I, I stood back, and I watched, and literally these women were howling. Now, Asian women are very reserved, very quiet, but these women were just like, I mean, watching the best prestigious program they'd ever seen or or the funniest movie they'd ever seen, and just literally, and it was so wonderful. The presence of God's love was so amazing. Well, then what happened was it lasted about five minutes, and all of a sudden the atmosphere changed. And I thought, what is up? And a total different presence came in, an awesome presence, a terrifying presence, but terrifyingly wonderful, if that makes sense. It, well, it does to me, because I, if, I, if I remember right, you have a Catholic background, I have a Jewish background, and to be candid with you, um, yes, God's my best friend. Yes, I understand intimacy with God, but I am never going to forsake the fact that He is holy. <laughs> and and it, it, that's like the furthest extreme in society, in Christian society today. Well, this is what marked me. These women that were laughing hysterically all of a sudden started screaming like they were on fire, yet it was not demonic. It was wonderfully holy. And they're literally, like, on fire. I don't know how else to describe it. It lasted about 90 seconds to three minutes. It's, it, it pa- gradually passed out. I remember while they were screaming, I was walking back and forth, Sid, and I thought, oh, my God, oh, my God. And that's what kept coming out of my mouth. And I realized that when they were laughing hysterically, Daddy, Abba, was ministering to his daughter. When they started screaming like they were being on fire, I realized that the king had come in. And... Sid, I knew no irreverence would be tolerated in that presence. 
for the first time in my life, I understood the atmosphere that Ananias and Sapphira lied in. I'll tell you what, we're out of time right now. I wish we weren't. I'd like to talk forever on this subject. But you have such a genuine gift from God in teaching. And I can't wait because the most misunderstood personality that God had is the Holy Spirit. And no more. When you read John's new book, The Holy Spirit, and listen to his six-session, two DVDs, and three teaching CDs, you will know the Holy Spirit. And there is no exception if you want to fulfill your destiny. You must know the Holy Spirit for a gift of $79. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. You were talking on yesterday's broadcast about a Holy Spirit uh, God visitation in Malaysia. Tell me about it. And yes, this does relate to the Holy Spirit so powerfully. While I was teaching in Malaysia, the women were down front, the auditorium was jam-packed, huge auditorium. Spirit of God came in, and it was like, Daddy, these women were laughing hysterically. Now, this is back in the mid-'90s. I'd never really seen this in Asia, and I realized God was just loving on his daughters. Well, all of a sudden, after five minutes, it lifted, and the Lord said, I'm coming in differently. And all of a sudden, the atmosphere changed, and this awesome, mighty, almost wonderfully terrifying presence comes in. And all of a sudden, these women stop laughing, and immediately they're screaming like they're on fire. Now, it wasn't demonic. And I remember I was walking back and forth going, oh, my God, oh, my God. Because that presence was so amazing, I knew irreverence wouldn't be tolerated in that presence because the king came in, daddy didn't come in, if that makes sense. And I remember I kept walking back and forth, and I remember out of my mouth came these words, this is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And my mind went, that's it. Jesus, the Bible says in Isaiah 11, the spirit of the Lord will be upon him, spirit of wisdom, knowledge, counsel, might. The spirit of the fear of the Lord, it goes on to say, and his delight was in the fear of the Lord. And I realized this is one of the manifestations of the spirit. I remember that right after that meeting, it was the largest Bible school in the nation. And there was a couple from the nation of India that were in that Bible school. And the woman said to me, she said, I feel so clean inside. And I said, I do too. Well, the next morning in my hotel in Malaysia, I was praying and God spoke to me and said, read Psalm 19 started reading Psalm 19, and I got to the verse that says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. I'd remembered what she'd said, I feel so clean, and so did her husband. I thought, the fear of the Lord is clean, and it endures forever. And the Lord spoke to me, Sid, and the Lord said this. He said, Lucifer led worship before my throne. He didn't fear me. He didn't endure forever. He said a third of the angels worshipped around the throne. They didn't fear me. They didn't endure forever. Adam and Eve walked in the presence of my, of my glory in the Garden of Eden. They didn't fear me. They didn't endure in the Garden forever. And he said every created being that is around my throne throughout eternity will have been tested in the, not only the love of God, 
but in the holy fear of God. And that's, it was like a marker in my life. And I realized right then that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. People ask me constantly, where do these insights and revelations come from in these books? And I can say this, Sid, it is from the fear of the Lord that opens up the door for the Holy Spirit to open and expand upon his word. Uh, Well, let me, that begs a question. If you were like most Christians in North America that I know, and you high-fived God all the time, and you, and you, you uh, acted as if you were a cheerleader, and you say, yay, God, um, do you think you'd be where you are right now? No, I don't. I honestly don't. I look at, um, there, there, there is, you, you know, Sid, and, and you, you, you are, you are going to be able to correct me, but when they brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, God said, the whole reason I brought you out was to bring you to myself. Moses goes up in the mountain. Aaron was invited up, but Aaron ends up back with the people because he was more comfortable in the presence of people than the presence of God. Aaron ends up building a calf. He forms it with an engraving tool. And they look at that calf and say, behold, Israel, Elohim. Now, Elohim uh, is found about 2,250 times in the Old Testament. About 250 times it's false God, 2,000 times God Almighty. Elohim is the word that's used for God all through Genesis chapter 1. I think it's like 30-some occurrences. So you always have to read it in context. But then Aaron makes a statement about that calf. Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. The word Lord that he uses there is Jehovah or Yahweh. That is the sacred name of God that the Hebrews wouldn't even write the vowels. And so Aaron looks right at that calf and says, there's Yahweh who delivered us out of Egypt. So he doesn't deny that God delivered them out of Egypt. He doesn't deny that God saved them. doesn't deny that he brought them through the water and fed them. He just has changed his image to now a Jehovah that's going to give me what I want. Well, if you look at Romans chapter 1, Paul says in the last days, people are going to change the image of God into an image of man or four-footed beast. Now, we don't worship four-footed beasts in our society. We worship human beings, mankind, okay? So, because you see the Egyptians worship four-footed beasts. They had statues of calves all over the place. So they were accustomed to that. So my question is, are we serving the real Jesus at the right hand of the Father, or have we created an image of Jesus that will give me what I want? I can high-five him, treat him like, hey, baby, what's going on, Jesus? And really, it not be the real Jesus, but the one we've made in an image that will give us whatever we want. I am almost wondering, the scripture comes to my mind, John, uh, is the love of most will grow cold in the last days. Maybe it's because of the uh, misunderstood image of God. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about that scripture. The love of many, and the, and the Greek word there, many, does mean most. Okay, it means majority is what it means, will grow cold. But what causes it to grow cold? Because lawlessness will abound. What is lawlessness? Lawlessness is when we're not submitted to the authority of God. So what happens is we pull ourselves out from his authority by creating a Jesus that will give me what I want, so therefore he's really not the Jesus at the right hand of the Father. We have conveniently slipped out from under his authority, but we still acknowledge he saved me, he died on a cross, 
but is he the real Jesus at the right hand of the Father? That's what we have to ask. And that's an honest, fair question that each person has to ask themselves. John, tell me in your words, who is the Holy Spirit to you? Well, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, and he is my very closest friend on earth. Um, I never would be talking to you on this program had it not been for the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that deeply concerns me is if you say Holy Spirit to a person, they immediately want to talk about his manifestations, his gifts, or power, rather than talking about him as a person. I personally am much more interested in knowing him as a person before I know his power and manifestation. It'd be kind of like this. If I meet a woman and I realize this woman, she is very, very well known in the community. Let's say I'm a single man. She is very wealthy and I want to marry her because of what, because I'll get her wealth. I'll get the popularity. I'll get the power in the community to get things done rather than coming to know her first as a person. And so I think many have gotten their relationship with the Holy Spirit backwards. They'll study out his manifestations. They'll study out his gifts. They'll talk about his power, talk about his manifestations, which are all important. Don't get me wrong. But they don't, first of all, seek to know him as a person. Now, you teach a lot about a word called communion. Is that what you're talking about now? Yeah, the word communion, I was a Catholic boy. To me, it was... uh, taking those wafers and sneaking the wine as an altar boy after the service, but uh, (laughs) that's not what communion means. The Greek word for communion is the Greek word koinonia, and it has many definitions, but the three major ones I highlight in the book are uh, partnership and fellowship and intimacy. Now, fellowship is interacting. It's companionship. Um, Sid, can you imagine if you pick me up at the airport when I fly in to, to do the television programs with you. Let's say you pick me up at Charlotte Airport and we got a 20-minute drive. I don't say one word to you. You don't say one word to me. Not hello, not good morning, not how's your family, thank you for coming, nothing. That whole We can't even imagine that. I mean, to people that are listening to us, can you imagine carpooling with your neighbor and you drive 20 minutes to downtown Charlotte, let's say, and you don't say one word to them when they get in the car. Yet, how many times we drive 20 minutes and not say one word to the Holy Spirit? Uh, but, but I'll tell you what, we're out of time right now. John, uh, it's a new book, new teachings, but what kind of feedback are you getting on your book, The Holy Spirit, and your teaching DVDs and CDs? You know what's thrilling me? This is the greatest feedback. Even pastors have said this to me. My whole relationship with the Holy Spirit has changed. My Christian life has become much more exciting and so much more full. What about people that um, uh, are kind of opposed to uh, the gifts of the Spirit for today? Uh, Have any of those read your book and any feedback? You know, I was, you know, prepared for it. But interestingly enough, because in the book I talk about him as a person, and I walk through, I mean, there's tons of scriptures laid out in order in this book. And I think what's happened is a lot of them have seen 
him as a person, and it opens them more up to his gifts and manifestation. I also show, because most people, their reason for not knowing his manifestations today is they say that which is perfect has come. Oh, well, we'll pick up there on tomorrow's broadcast. You are talking about a a scripture that is misunderstood, that has stopped many people from going further with the Holy Spirit. Uh, pick up right there. That is correct. Um, many times people will discount gifts and the manifestations, and I want to emphasize, as I did yesterday, I think the greatest mistake people have made is they've taught and they've sought to know and understand the manifestations of the Holy Spirit before coming to know Him as a person. You know, Sid, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard the Holy Spirit referred to as an it, I would be a wealthy man. But, you know, when you read scriptures, you realize He has a mind of His own. In Romans, He has a will. In Corinthians, He has emotions. He can be grieved. He can be insulted. He can be lied to. He speaks. He speaks clearly. And Jesus made the statement, He's going to be exactly like me. And so Jesus even said, it's better that we go away because I can't reveal any more to you than what I've done unless the Holy Spirit comes, then he can show me in a much greater way because he communicates with our spirits. And so in 1 Corinthians, you know, people will discount the manifestations and the gifts of the Spirit so quickly because there is a scripture that says, in verse Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. Now, what is part? That refers to verse 9, where he says, we know in part, we prophesy in part. But their contention for the gifts being passed away is the perfect has come, because they say the perfect is the Scripture. However, Paul goes on two verses later in verse 12 and tells us what the perfect is. He says, for now we see in a glass dimly, but then when the perfects come face to face. Now, I know in part, he says, so we know in part and we prophesy in part. He says, now I know in part, but, what, but then when the perfect has come, I shall know just as I am known. Now, there's two things that we have to say right here. Are we looking at Jesus face-to-face yet? No. Are we, do we know him as he knows us? Because those are the two things Paul says is going to happen when the perfect comes. The answer to both of those is no. So that means the perfect has not yet come, which means we still need prophecy. We still need the gifts that he wrote about. They haven't been done away with. Well, what about people that say, okay, I am filled with the Holy Spirit, but I do not believe uh, the gift of tongues is with us anymore because the Scripture says, do all speak in tongues? Well, that's another misunderstanding. And the reason they misunderstand that is they don't understand that there are four different types of tongues that the New Testament speaks about. Two of them are private, two of them are public. If you look at the two public tongues that Paul talks about, they are when we speak in another language of this earth that we've not been previously trained in, the wonderful works of God. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Those guys that were unlearned were speaking different languages from all over the earth, and the men from all over the earth were there for the Feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem. They heard them speaking in their native tongues 
the wonderful works of God. That was a sign to them. That's tongues for a sign. The other tongue that's public is when a heavenly language is given, a language not of this earth. That one has to be interpreted, which is another gift of the Spirit. When Paul talks in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and says, do all speak in tongues, the tongue he is speaking of is that one right there. If you read it all in context, it's not the private tongues of praying in, in tongues, it's the public tongues. No, because if everybody spoke in tongues in a public assembly, it would be mayhem and confusion. So he goes on to say, in speaking about private tongues, he said, I wish you all prayed in tongues, because he talks about praying in the Spirit, talks about praying in the understanding, talks about singing in the Spirit, singing in the understanding. You know, Sid, I look at it like this. You know, when we speak in a tongue, God has given us the ability to communicate with him on his level. If I walked into President Obama's office right now, President Obama would have to come down to my level of understanding because I don't know all the security things that are going on in this nation and the different secret things that are going on in the government. So he and I could only have fellowship on my level of understanding. So when I walk into the king of the universe's office, he wants, because I'm his child, you're his child, he wants us to be able to communicate on his level. The only way... If we only speak in English, the only way we could communicate is if God came down on our level. God has made a way that we as children can come into his throne and communicate to him on his level. Because the Holy Spirit gives us the words when we pray in the Spirit to be able to communicate with God on his level. Yeah, you know, John, you were talking about um, uh, speaking in uh, different languages uh, and actually, in the Greek where it talks about it, it even says different dialects. I had a Bible study many years ago, and there was a Filipino couple. Uh, the wife had received the Lord. The husband was a, a professor of medicine at Howard University. He had not. And I spoke in tongues. And he, I, there was the a most amazed expression on his face uh, because he heard me speaking not only in the Filipino language, but in his dialect. And there are like 30 different dialects in the Philippines. And he first thought, my wife must have coached Sid in that language to get me to be saved. And then he thought, no, my wife doesn't even speak the same dialect I speak. I mean, and that made me a believer, and it made him a believer even more important. You know, I had a similar experience. I was speaking in a large church. One of my staff members was sitting in the back and thought they were just praying in the Spirit. They were praying very quiet. And at the end of the service, a gentleman stood up, walked over to my staff member and said, not only, I'm, I'm a French teacher. Or actually, his first question to her was, I, you speak French very well. That's the first thing he said to her. And she said, no, I don't speak French at all. And he said, no way. He said, I am a French teacher. Not only were you speaking the old French, but you were using a perfect accent as you spoke it. And she said, sir, I don't speak any French. He said, well, you were speaking 
and he was repeating almost verbatim what you were speaking. <laughs> and he said, I couldn't figure out if he had given you all of his notes. And she said, no, I don't have any of his notes. And he said, but you were saying scriptures. You were quoting them in French. And right after you got finished quoting him, he would say, turn to that scripture. And so it was a sign to him of how real the person of the Holy Spirit is and that he's here to glorify Jesus. Uh, John, we don't probably have the time necessary, but when I was a brand new believer, I used to pray in tongues one hour a day, and then I got too busy, and then I stopped. Well, about a couple years ago, the Holy Spirit convicted me. I need it more now than ever before, and I'm back to an hour a day. How important is that? I think it's extremely important because the Bible says you build up your, you build up your inner man on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. It also says in 1 Corinthians 14, he speaks in an unknown tongue, edifies himself. That word edify means to build a large Ephesus. So you're basically increasing the capacity of the presence of the Spirit of God in your life. You're building a larger house for Him, if that makes sense. Well, actually, that's what's going on in the ministry, too. I, I think it's a direct correlation. Our, our team members, you know, they, they come to work at 8 o'clock every morning, right? Right. Well, for years and years and years, I remember when I first came to Colorado Springs, they didn't understand praying strong in the Spirit. So they would come into work. I was with them at the prayer meeting. And, you know, for the first 15 minutes, it was just like, oh, my gosh, half of them are going to fall asleep. It's so dry. And I remember I started really bucking against it and said, guys, we're going to pray fervently. The Bible says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I said, we're going to pray in the Spirit because the Holy Spirit's going to help us to pray in unison. I want a good portion of our time in prayer in the morning to be in the Spirit, beside calling out these needs on our prayer board. Well, do you know we've done that ever since we've had our office building here in Colorado Springs, which was like 12 years ago. Every morning I've had so many people come in and just say they are completely overwhelmed by how much life that's infused into them when they join up with our team praying in the Spirit in our morning prayer meeting. But, but I have to tell you, John— your materials, your brand new book on the Holy Spirit, your two DVDs, which are really six sessions of teaching, and then your three CDs, which are also six sessions of teaching, uh, we're making available. If someone went out to buy it, they'd pay $125 retail. We're making it available for a gift of $79. And I tell you, you must, you must have intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And John, because he's a teacher's teacher, and he's not teaching theory. He's teaching what he has done step by step. John, is there any reason why someone can't have the same or greater intimacy with the Holy Spirit reading your book, listening to your teachings that you have? No, and you know, Sid— We've got to look at it like this. God anoints people to teach. And I realize that the anointing that's on my life, it's not mine. It wasn't given for me, for my benefit. It was given for the body of Christ. And I realized, when I, when I looked at how this, this came together, my son and I actually wrote it together. When I saw how it came together, you can just see the hand of God on it so strong. And okay, the hand of God, but the mouth of God through me is telling you, get this material. Call our order-only line, 
1-800-447-2697. John, on yesterday's broadcast, uh, we had to stop. Uh, you were talking about uh, your son worked with you on this book, the, uh, on the Holy Spirit, and you were telling me a story about it. Well, you know, I asked my son to help me write this book because I look at the young generation. Uh, the young generation, many of them back away from the Holy Spirit. And, and Sid, I think it's because of some of the strangeness that occurred when he was, you know, three, four, five, six, seven years old, and, and all of them. And what happened was he saw things that disturbed him. And, you know, one of the things that I want to make very clear is, and let's just be honest, we've got listeners listeners right now that are like, well, I've seen weirdness. And now let me make this statement. Nobody, nobody can detect weirdness better than a little child. I remember my kids, we'd go into some churches and they'd be five years old and they're leaning so as far as they could into their mother because of the person sitting next to them was just doing something really, really strange. And when it's God, it's not strange. And so my, my, my point is this. Nobody yielded better to the Holy Spirit than Jesus. Nobody fully allowed the Holy Spirit to express the will of God better than Jesus. Yet kids jumped in Jesus' lap. Yet mafia invited Jesus to their parties, you know, because the tax collectors were the mafia of the day. If you look at businessmen and leaders sought out Jesus. So in other words, Jesus wasn't weird, and yet he gave full expression to the Holy Spirit. So my statement to these young people that have said, but wait a minute, I said, wait a minute, if you saw things that you knew were not not right, weird, strange, I said, chances are good it was the person. They might have been strange if they were playing cards or playing tennis. But I said, if you see somebody who's completely yielded to the Holy Spirit, no matter what the manifestation, and there are some, there are manifestations that are amazing that the Holy Spirit will do. I mean, spitting on somebody's eye to get them healed. Come on. But But when he's in it, it's never perceived as weird or strange or repulsive. And so I had a great burden because this young generation has a deep, deep desire to reach the world. I've never seen a generation that wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves, more so than this generation. I've never seen a generation that want to be so much a part of a team. And I know their intentions and their passions are good to help the needy, the poor, the, the, you know, the, those that are victims of social injustice. But if they don't have the power and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and they aren't friends with him, intimate with him, they're not going to be able to fulfill what God has put in their heart for their generation. But I don't care whether you're a, you're a young person or you're in your 80s. Uh, there is a depth of fellowship. As a matter of fact, we didn't finish that, uh, John. The other day we were talking about the word communion and the personality of the Holy Spirit, and you started with fellowship. You know, I, I look at the way it, fellowship means to interact. It means companionship. I know that none of us would jump in a car and not speak to somebody for 20 minutes. 
Well, how many times do we do that with the Holy Spirit? Sometimes I think he is the most ignored person in the church. And so if you look at the apostles in the, in the book of Acts, if you look at the Christians, the leaders, you will find out they had interaction with the Holy Spirit. I mean, Paul says in Acts chapter, I think it's 20, he said, the Holy Spirit has told me in city after city. So you can see there's an ongoing interaction there. If you look at Philip, when Philip was in Samaria conducting the, the, the service, and, and Samaria is getting saved, and there's miracles and healing, the Bible says an angel spoke to him. It doesn't say an angel appeared. Now it says an angel appeared to Mary, an angel appeared to Joseph, angel appeared to Zacharias, angel appeared to John. It said an angel spoke to Philip and said, go to the desert. So Philip listens to the angel. Three verses later, he's out in the desert. He's been there a couple days. He sees a royal Ethiopian chariot, and the Spirit then said, go and join this chariot. Sid, Philip, these guys knew the voice of the Spirit so clearly, they could differentiate between his voice and the voice of an angel. Now, that sounds weird and strange to some today, but I don't think it is, because let me give you a natural example. If I'm in a room, and I'm talking to you, Sid, and there's a couple dozen people in the room, and my wife is sitting across the room, she's talking to your wife, she may make a comment, and I'll hear her voice above all two dozen of those people in that room, and I'll say, there's my wife's voice. Now, I'm not looking at her. I'm not seeing her. Absolutely. But if you had never heard her, you would not know it. If you have never realized the Holy Spirit's talking to you, you'd never know his voice. (laughs) Correct. So just as I know each of the voices on my team, I have 30 team members. If I call my office, I'll know which one answered the phone. I know their voices. So this, the early church, they could tell. I mean, when, think about it. When Philip is sitting down with Dr. Luke, and Dr. Luke is writing the book of Acts, Philip goes, now wait a minute, Luke. It was not the Holy Spirit that spoke to me in, in the city of Samaria. It was an angel. But when I got out into the desert, that's when the Spirit spoke to me. So they could tell the difference. That's how well they knew the Holy Spirit. Uh, Tell me about partnership with the Holy Spirit. Oh, I love partnership. If you look at partners, partners develop what I like to call an ebb and flow. Uh, In other words, they know what each other is going to do. I played varsity tennis at Purdue University. I was paired with the number two singles, and we were the number three doubles team for the varsity tennis team. And I remember we were a bit awkward because balls were going between us. I'm thinking he's going to get it. He's thinking I'm going to get it. But after a few matches, we developed a flow, and we were very tough to beat. We really operated as one man on that tennis court. We knew what each other was thinking. Well, the first time I spoke, I told you in the first program, I put Lisa to sleep. Now I speak in front of 5,000 people, 10,000 people, 20,000 people, and they don't go to sleep when I speak. Why? Because I've learned how to yield to my partner. I've developed that flow with him. So when I was With Lisa, I'm speaking out of my head. I'm bound to my notes. Now I've learned how to listen for what he's leading me to do in my heart when I speak. And so there's an ebb and flow that's been developed. The first book I wrote, it took a year, and it really wasn't that good. Now he tells me to write a book, and I crank it out in a couple months. So I've learned how to partner better because Paul made the statement We are fellow workers for and with God in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you look at the apostles in the book of Acts, they said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. You can see his representation 
and their representation. So it definitely means partnership. And the third thing you talk about is intimacy with That's him. That's the best. That's the best. And I could talk about that for hours, so I've got to be really careful. <laughs> you, you have to. We only have a couple minutes left. <laughs> well, intimacy is fellowship, but it goes deeper than fellowship. It goes to the thoughts, the secrets, the desires of the heart. Intimacy is a sure avenue to a deep friendship. And if you look at the Message Bible, it says, May the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. He desires to be our friend. In fact, if you look at James chapter 4, verse 5, he said, The Spirit who dwells in us yearns. Now, the word yearn means he longs for intensely and consistently. What does he yearn for? He yearns for our friendship. But the thing you've got to remember is, James said, he yearns jealously. What does jealously mean? It means that just as Lisa wouldn't share with me the secrets and desires of her heart in intimacy, if I was pursuing a relationship with another girl, even so the Holy Spirit will not share with us the secrets and the desires of his heart if we're pursuing a relationship with the world. And that's exactly what James meant when he said three verses earlier in James chapter 4, verse 2. He said, you're seeking a friendship with the world, you're an adulterer. An adulterer is one who has a covenant relationship with one, but violates that covenant to pursue a relationship with somebody else. So if you want to have intimacy with the Holy Spirit, you have to make sure you're not pursuing a relationship with the world. Speaking of that, very briefly, it, it was amazing. You decided to fast TV. Then you just walked by a TV, and all of a sudden, you felt something you didn't feel when you had not fasted TV. What was that? That was interesting. It wasn't a um, a really particularly bad program. It actually was nothing. It, 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 it You know, some programs today, I mean, I don't care if you don't fast for three years, you can't watch them if, you're, if you really are a follower of Jesus. But this one wasn't particularly a bad one. There was just, there was actually a policeman that had to use a, uh, a gun to take somebody's life, okay? And I remember what happened on the inside of me was I was so sensitive to it, I had to walk back out of the room. I was like, oh my gosh, I've been in the presence of God for all these days, and yet now I just get out and I get exposed to this, and I was like, uh-uh, I don't want this. So I find that what happens is if we don't spend that time with him like you were talking about, we get a little dull. We get dull in our spirit. You know, just like, you know, I go to the gym three times a week at least. Why? Because I want to keep my body in shape. Well, if we're not praying in the spirit, we're not in the word of God and spending time with him in intimacy, we get a little dull in the spirit. Uh, John, we're, we're out of time. I'm so sorry. I want everyone everywhere to hear how brilliant God has made John Bevere to teach how to have intimacy with God. I want you to hear a section where he talks about a a word that is so confusing, Trinity, that I don't even like to use it. I like to say the triune nature of God. So who is the Holy Spirit? He is the third person of the Godhead. Genesis 1.26 said, then God said, let us, us, make man in our image, our image, according to our likeness. God didn't say, let me make man. Let us make man. If you look at Acts 10.38, you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all distinctly identified how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. 
with the Holy Spirit who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. You've got God the Father anointing Jesus with the Holy Spirit. There's the three right there. When Jesus was baptized at the River Jordan, the three manifest as totally different persons. You have Jesus our Lord being baptized by John. You have him coming up and the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and you have God the Father speaking from heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So three distinct persons yet one God because Deuteronomy 6 4 says hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one. If you look at Romans 3.30, there is one God who will justify. James 2.19, you believe there is one God, you do well. An example to help you understand is you've got water. How many of you know water takes three different forms? You've got steam, you've got liquid, you've got solid, which is ice. But all three have the exact same molecular makeup. Three distinct forms but yet it's one. That's the Father, that's the Son, that's the Holy Spirit, amen? He is actually the first member of the Godhead that appears in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What's verse 2 say? The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He shows up right in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. So who is the Holy Spirit? We got to ask that, amen? He is the most amazing, wonderful, beautiful, kind, tender, sensitive, mighty person on the face of this earth. You say, John, on the face of this earth? Oh, yeah, on the face of this earth. Because you have to understand the Father is not here on earth. He's on his throne in heaven. Jesus is not here on the earth. I hear people say all the time, Jesus is in my heart. He's seated at the right hand of God. And the angel specifically said, while the, this is Acts 1, 9 and 11, while the disciples watched, Jesus was taken up and a cloud received them out of their sight. The two angels said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, he's going to come in the clouds. Has he come in the clouds? No. There's some people that might think that, but, you know, they're out in a ranch somewhere, you know, where we can't find him, but he hasn't come in the clouds yet. That means he's at the right hand of God in heaven. Because when Stephen was being stoned, Stephen looked and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at his right hand. I love that, how Jesus stood for his martyr to come home. I just love that. But you see, Jesus has been there ever since, you know, approximately 2,000 years ago. He's not, he's not here. I don't care how much you say he's in your heart. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of God the Father. Matthew 10, 20, Jesus made the statement, it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Do you know who's speaking through me right now? The Spirit of my Father. You know, I used to, and I even tried it here before this taping, I used to try to, you know, preach my message. Oh, anybody that's ever preached before, that is a miserable, miserable thing. Because it's horrible. I can't preach. But then all of a sudden, what happens? The spirit of my father comes on me and I begin to speak the word of God. Are you with me? 
Oh, I love him. He's so amazing. He's never left me dry. He's never left me out to dry. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He is the spirit of God the Son. I said the Holy Spirit is the spirit of God the Son. Philippians 1.19, for you know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. How do the three work together? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 5 through 7 gives us a little window into it. We read, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. That would be Jesus. There's differences of operations, but the same God, which worketh all in all. That's God the Father. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So you can see what this shows us. It gives us an insight of how they work together. So we've got the father operates, all right? That's verse six, or in other words, he initiates. We have the son who administrates, and then we have the Holy Spirit who manifests. Now, to help you get an understanding of this, let's say we want to build a house, okay? If we're going to build a house, what happens? You've got an architect, you've got a foreman, and you've got the people that actually build the house, the workers, right? The subs, right? Well, in that illustration, this is crude, but it works, God the Father's the architect, Jesus is the foreman, and the Holy Spirit's the workers that actually build the house. He's the manifester of creation. Are you with me? Because Jesus said in Matthew 12, 28, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. Now, you hear that? If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, but Luke's gospel records it this way. If I cast out demons with the finger of God. So, exact same situation, Matthew writes, Spirit of God, Luke writes, Finger of God. So, the Holy Spirit is the finger of God. Now, listen, there's something you got to understand. The Greeks always wrote according to form. You've got their statues and all that stuff, they're into all that stuff. The Hebrew writers would always write according to function. So, that's why he's not actually fingers, this is like if... I was trying to communicate to you how the Holy Spirit is. My hand does the work that my head desires my hand to do. You see, he's revealed as the finger of God, the hand of God, the arm of God. He delivered them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. He delivered them by his spirit. If you look at Psalm 8, 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers. So the Holy Spirit is the one who actually put those stars in their orbit, put the moon and the earth, because he says, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. He's the one that manifested all creation. That's why he's hovering upon the waters, waiting for the architect to initiate and the son to administrate by saying, light be, because Jesus is the word of God. So when light be was spoken, that was the son. Are you with me? Administrating what the father said to do and the Holy Spirit made it happen. I love that. Man, that is so good. Are you with me? I mean, got to be my favorite scriptures in the Bible on the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 40, verse 12. Who else? Now listen to these words. Who else has held the ocean in his hand? Think about it. He held the entire ocean in his hand. Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers. So you can see the Holy Spirit's being described here by his function. Okay, who else knows the weight of the earth or who has weighed the mountains in a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? 
Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? No way, baby. Does he need instruction about what is good? Does someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No. For all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. That's the spirit of the Lord. Do you see how mighty he is? Do you understand how mighty he is? Remember when I said he has agreed with the Father and the Son to come make his residence in us? It puts us on our face. Can you say amen? As you can see, John Bevere is a world-class teacher. But the subject, how to know the Holy Spirit, how he can be your best friend, how to have intimacy with him, uh, how to get supernatural direction, supernatural ideas, how to yield to the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you that if there's ever been a time that the Holy Spirit must be your best friend, this is the time, and this is the book. This will be a classic, just as his previous book was a classic, The Bait of Satan. Most of you read it. But you must have intimacy with the Spirit of God. You must know how to hear his voice and distinguish his voice from all the other voices. We're making the book by John Bevere, The Holy Spirit, the two DVDs, which are actually six sessions of brilliant teaching on relationship with the Holy Spirit, the three CDs, which are six sessions on on how to understand, to move in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the different types of tongues, all the questions you've had by a world-class teacher. Normally, it would retail for $125. We're making it available for a gift of $79. To place a credit card order for today's offer, call anytime at 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. 2697. Or log on to our website at www.sidroth.org. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.